0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of this is a thing this week an interview with writer director actor and the associate artistic director at lyric stage company of Boston Nora Long you guys this woman is so smart and our conversation was fascinating. Please go see Mr. Burns, a post-electric play that she has directed at Lyric Stage Company of Boston featuring friend of show Amy Doherty. It opens April 8th and runs through May 7th. While you're online buying a ticket for that... Uh, I'm going to do a little shameless self-promotion. Please go see Sweet Charity at Stoneham Theater. It runs March 31st through April 24th. We are having a blast, and we would love it if you would join us. Um, And while you're online doing all of those other things, why don't you subscribe to this podcast, head on over to iTunes, and click five stars so you can show everyone how much you love this. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you later. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of This is a Thing. I'm here today with A. Nora Long. And I have questions about that because do you say the A? You just say Nora,
1: right? Well, I generally introduce myself as Nora, but the okay. A, my first name begins with an A.
0: Okay. Do you not talk about your first name? It, it's it's uh, Amy. My first oh, okay.
1: name is Amy. <laughs> I was like, is it a mystery? It's, a, it's, it's a little bit of a mystery, yeah. but yeah Nora's like more of a real name I can tell you the whole story if you want I would like to hear it please (laughs) right now or do you have to keep introing Oh, no.
0: That, that, that's that it. That was interesting. I mean, I got sidetracked by your name right away. So <laughs> let's
1: go. <laughs> um, so Nora is a family name. It was mm-hmm. my great aunt's name. And, uh, but she was still alive when I was born. She was like 94. And so my parents knew that Nora was going to be my middle name and then uh, picked the first name in the baby book they both agreed on, which was Amy. So Amy's always felt like a fake name oh. for me. Uh, and so, but so in college I started going by Nora and, uh, but just because I don't want to like change my license and do all that stuff. The oh, A sure. is a little like an acknowledgement and also right. Like I'm one Nora of many Noras. There are many Noras. Oh, I, I a like, Nora long. I a love Nora. It.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. That's lovely. Thank you. Oh, um, where are you from?
1: I'm from Boston. You originally. are? Okay. Yeah. I grew up in, uh, Roslindale and then, uh, my, family moved to Needham just before I started high school. Oh, okay. And did you go to school here as well? I did my undergrad at Sarah Lawrence College, mm-hmm. uh, which is just outside of New York City. And then I uh, went to grad school across the river at the ART Institute Oh cool. for advanced theater training. It's got How a very long name. <laughs> well, it makes it more
0: official, right. I think. The yeah.
1: more words you stick in a name, the more official it is.
0: Sure. With yeah. colleges and I think churches,
1: churches. too. Churches. I think both. People. The more names you put in there. Yes. I would
0: like a, a third or something, but I've missed I missed my window. So I,
1: just, <laughs> I think you, you could just add one in there.
0: I should. Right? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do It's on. It's if, on. If you see. Or like, like you my, could put like
1: Esquire at the Ooh. end.
0: But that denotes
1: level of lawyer. training or degree yeah, but right th- but
0: when people expect me to know stuff that'll be real awkward <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I I cannot help you I just like the way it looks um I have a question so what was going to Sarah Lawrence like like I have for some reason some vision <laughs> in my head of going to school there that is like mm, ladies on a sunny lawn wearing like Long skirts and their hats are billowing in the breeze, and they're reading like romantic poetry books. And I don't know where that vision came from, but it's definitely anytime someone says, Oh, Sarah Lawrence, I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's what you did for four years, but that's probably not true.
1: It's a little bit true. Oh, the, the college uh, did go co ed in the 60s. Um, Rahm Emanuel and uh, Carrie Elwes are some of our famous men who, oh. who graduated from there. Um, But uh, most people either know it because of Joseph Campbell, who famously taught there, um, or because it has a reputation of being rather uh, bohemian uh, in spirit. Um, The college is uh, really... It was great. It was a a, a perfect fit for me. My high school was really grade-driven and Mm -hmm. not so much idea-driven. It was like what you're... GPA was or what your class rank was, was more important than ideas or what you're actually learning. And so I um, tried to find uh, an undergrad experience that was as opposite from that as possible. And Sarah Lawrence was definitely that. There are no tests. There are no grades. There are no majors. Um, And there are no requirements, really. Um, There's like a suggested program and you have an academic advisor who like guides you through shaping your own program. But um, it was a really extraordinary place to learn and uh, both about academic subjects, but also about the world and being a person. And I'm super grateful for having that opportunity.
0: Oh, that's really cool. I like that you are attracted to balance Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being like, have I've had all of these goal oriented like I know what that's about let me level it out in myself and go for ideas and stuff was it um like did was that conscious when you chose the school or was it like the bohemian aspect or all of it all together
1: uh all of it all together I mean the school is uh extraordinarily liberal um coming out week became coming out month Mm -hmm. um it's very uh very progressive um in terms of uh social issues and uh and is is really supporting um supportive of individual exploration of ideas and creativity and so the that idea so you get like really detailed written evaluations from your faculty Um, you pick your classes by interviewing teachers there's like a week really yeah so you get to see if uh this is a person that you feel like is a good fit if this is a person that you know, you feel like you want to explore the ideas that are germane to the class with, which is a really, it's, it's the kind of school I think that's not for everyone Mm -hmm. because you have to be really motivated. You have to be really interested in learning and ideas. Uh, there are a lot of people who found that the kind of lack of structure that they needed more of a concrete structure to Mm -hmm. really be successful when you're 19. Right. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah and, and there were a number of really just extraordinary minds both who taught there and who went there. I I just met a lot of really extraordinary artists um and it was sort of the first step in shaping my real Mm, theatrical sensibility because my high school didn't have a theater program. Mm-hmm. It was a club that I ended up running actually with a friend my senior year. <laughs> I <love> that. Because <laughs> uh, they didn't hire anyone to do it. So so having a more kind of formal background with a, a kind of wealth of artists was really helpful for me.
0: Wow. Um, so this is probably a dumb question. But does, so does anyone get, like, can you get kicked out? Like, you know, you can f- fail out of you know the colleges with grades like how does that work if you don't have like a b c
1: uh well so there's technically a grade that a teacher gives you that goes on a transcript but oh, you I have see. to request it um and it's really you only get those because you know people who leave sarah lawrence want to maybe go to other schools mm-hmm. or um, the rest of the world requires things like grades and gpas um there is totally a way to to get kicked out. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the school was more, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, as is probably not surprising that that kind of non-traditional learning environment attracts a lot of non-traditional students. Sure. And so it was sort of a joke a little bit, right? Like that if you just weren't feeling class that day, that maybe you wouldn't go. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like I was hyper aware of the the cost of of the mm. college, and so knew how much each day of class cost. And oh my gosh! <laughs> so like I had mono my sophomore year, and just kept going to class. Um, because to the point where like professors were like, please leave. I was going to say, how did everyone
0: else feel? (laughs) Are they like, you can please stay in your room.
1: (laughs) Could you not come to class today, please? Um, uh, but yeah, there, it's the kind of university experience where your inability to go to class or be driven by your classes like that, that's enough of a failure, Hmm. Um, it's about a um, more the intrinsic um, value that you're putting in. So you could get booted. Mm-hmm. Um, there were just a lot more people who were on like the five or six or seven year plan. Because um, yeah. they could be... Just take your time. They just took their time. <laughs> and right? if you and can and afford it. And if you can afford it. And <laughs> I suppose. Finding your, your way through oh, it. Boy. Um, my financial aid package, even if I had... I. My senior year at Sir Lawrence was my best year, and I um, was really reluctant to leave the security of the collegiate format into mm-hmm. the scary professional world of the arts, like let alone life. But even uh, even if I had wanted to stay, which I probably did, my financial aid package was not on the five or six or seven year plan, as some places are.
0: Sure. That yeah. was me too. Like I was like, I, I'm frightened of real life, but I need to go. I need to go <laughs> I'm out of funds. <laughs> yes. like, get me out of here. Um, that is so interesting to me. Like I, I love it in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess like you said, like it's not for everyone. Cause I think, um, when I went to college, I was 17 mm. so for the, like the first half of the year. So I can, I just think I would have been such a mess. Um, I don't know. Or maybe not, actually. Maybe I would have wanted to go to class because at least I like knew how to do that already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I know how to go there, sit in this chair, and someone's watching me for a little while. <laughs> I don't have to be freaked out by this place. But um, yeah, that's just... That's so interesting. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, so did you go in knowing exactly what you wanted to study? Did you definitely want to do theater or were you kind
1: of exploring? Part of the reason that I... Uh, chose Sarah Lawrence was that I wasn't positive that I wanted to do theater. I thought that was probably what I wanted to do, but um, I was I was choosing ultimately between Sarah Lawrence and Emerson College and um, the like trajectory of Emerson, right? Like being auditioning for the program and going through um, a really prescribed program um, made me nervous because even though I couldn't think of what else I would want to do at that point, it seemed to my 18 year old self that it was possible I would change my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really appreciated the broad based liberal arts education that I got, that it helped develop me as a thinker. Um, one of the things, one of my professors said all the time was, um, in a liberal arts education, you may not, uh you know as opposed to a conservatory style program you get the you get to figure out what you're going to make art about mm-hmm. um and that uh that idea was really attractive to me i also am interested in a lot of different things i studied italian when i was there and um, which i wasn't expecting to do but yeah. because of the interview process because you interview faculty members i thought i was going to study russian Wow, Um, But I met with the Russian teacher and she could not have sold her class less. Like she was, (laughs) she was just like, no, well, you know, no one really ever takes this class. So there's totally will be room if you want to take it. But, you know, there are other classes you could take. (laughs) I was like, that sounds great. And then I met with the Italian teacher kind of on a like, on a whim Mm -hmm. um, and just fell completely in love with her. She's extraordinary fun smart interesting engaging person and was like you know Italian classes fill up um I can put you on my preferred list because you have this other language For training like a car deal she has like yeah it was exactly like <laughs> the complete opposite I, yeah. I kind of wanted to be like to the Russian teacher like maybe more people would take your class if you talked about it a little more positively yeah but, um but yeah I made a claimation. I st- I took this science and film class and I made a tiny short claymation video, which took a million hours. I was going to
0: say, that's like, just move the hand to the right to
1: to, snap. (laughs) It's, um, you know, any work I have ever done since then with actual real life people, actors, like you, you have to give real life people, actors, right. Because they need to go to the bathroom and and drink water, but Mm -hmm. like, they're not going to melt under the lights, (laughs) you know, like their features aren't gonna like fade um oh my goodness so you know I would like block out all this time to move my little claymation guy across the tiny little set and then but I would have to give him a break every like 45 minutes because just in the freezer or something yeah I mean even just like (laughs) not not being under the lights Mm -hmm. and moving him was uh was enough but yeah there was a couple of emergency (laughs) surgeries that had to happen on limbs. So. That's
0: hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so
0: back to the thing about the teachers. Mm. Um, so like was there a bidding war kind of for students then? Like would they be like, we have candy for you. Come take <laughs> my class. Like how does di- – did that create pressure for the professors to kind of have to sell themselves to students or were were they not worried about it?
1: Not really because teachers who were successful at Sarah Lawrence, right? Like teachers who in the same way that like Sarah Lawrence isn't uh, the best fit for every student, it's not probably the best fit for every professor. So Mm -hmm. professors who were engaged in, um, in teaching um, it's not a big research university. You know, most of the faculty were practicing in their field, but um, it's, um, th- there's so much one-on-one attention between faculty and the students that finding the right fit was often, um, uh, was compelling enough. But so, um, so you had this week where you interviewed different professors to talk to them about their class, and then you submitted the classes that you wanted to take, and then um, the deans and the college it's it's like I think very telling about the Sarah Lawrence experience that like like class selection night was this massive party really? <laughs> where everyone waited for the deans to post who got into the the um, crowded classes right so the classes that everybody wanted to get into because if you didn't get your first choice then you had um, like two or three days to, interview other faculty member and pick kind of a second choice faculty had the ability to write a like preference list but ultimately mm-hmm. like if if there were the, and classes are small generally classes were 10 to 13 people so if there were less than 13 people who wanted to take the class you all got the class and it was fine mm-hmm. but for the more um desirable classes Sarah Lawrence has a big reputation uh for its writing program, so a lot of the writing classes were really crowded um And so the deans would post this list, uh, late at night saying every, you know, it was like every year we're not posting it until the morning, but every year they posted it at like, you know, midnight and everyone (laughs) would cram into the, um, the main uh, academic building on campus, which is actually um, the Lawrence's home. So it's like a converted mansion. Um, so everyone would cram into the stairwell. And um, that's when the party would end because while there are many people who would be very excited about having Some gotten their bomb. classes, the the tears of oh the, the, the weeping um, about not getting into, for example, I, I have a very vivid memory of a woman just, collapsing in tears because she believed that she didn't get the poetry workshop but in fact she just had imbibed too much alcohol to, <laughs> to read her name on the list so her immediate fear took over and one of her friends had to tell her no 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 you got in you got in!" oh my god um but I think like weeping over I didn't get into poetry it is very <laughs> emblematic of the Sarah Lawrence experience. That's just the whole video that they send you. Yes. Like, Do you want to come here? Do you want to come here? Are you this person?
0: That's amazing. And for some reason, what I'm picturing in my head is like some cross between um like the sorting with the sorting hat and yes. Harry Potter <laughs> and like the Iowa caucus or something. Yes. Like they merge together and like that's finding out what class you go to. That's incredible. I mean, I guess that's, that's awesome that someone would be so excited about learning, that um, that they're that upset about not getting to study the thing that they would would like to do. Yes. Um, but I just wasn't in that place when I was in college. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't, I can't imagine. I don't know if I ever felt that passionately. Maybe. Maybe if I hadn't gotten to like a required class my senior year when I was truly running out of money, mm-hmm. that I could have cried over that because I'd be like, I can't, but I can't stay. Um, wow, that's amazing. Uh, sorry, I'm like just <laughs> mystified. Uh, so, how did you end up back here? Did you like, or did you come back right after college, or?
1: Um, I had a I had a year between uh, undergrad and grad school, and I had a um, short-lived internship at a theater in the southern part of the country, um, and then uh, nine of the 11 interns at that theater in my group left, um, to just give you an idea. Idea. So it wasn't good. It wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh. So I got an internship actually at the American Repertory Theater, oh. and um, which was great because I was applying to go there for grad school. Um, and I applied to a couple of other places, but um, I always knew I wanted to come back to Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of why I wanted to do undergrad not in Boston. Um, and wanted to try out New York because I think. I think when you're in theater, there's this idea of New York is the place mm-hmm. to do it. Um, and um, part of what I found is that what is amazing about theater is it, or what can be amazing about theater is it allows you to have a dialogue with your community and be a part of the um, be part of something more than just the production. Um, oh, sure. And uh, so th- that idea was always more interesting to me than, um, you know, being on Broadway and doing that kind of work. Uh, that being said, I did spend a semester in London, and if I could live there, I would live there in a heartbeat. Um, so that's like maybe the, that's maybe like a little counterintuitive <laughs> to what I just said, but. That's okay. Um, You know, Boston's home. And I always felt like Boston was a place that I could have an impact. And, um, you know, I went to school with these brilliant people. And they were all, my senior year, they were all vying for the same job at Barnes & Noble. Um, This is when you could afford, this is going to date me, but this is when you could afford to live in Williamsburg and Park Slope, right? So they were all, like, moving there. You
0: said Barnes & Noble, like, as, like, a a thing to do all the time, so. Yes. (laughs) I'm from that age as well, though right? <laughs>
1: yeah. um, that was when we had bookstores, yes um ye old borders uh, ye old <laughs> borders um, and you know, a number of them are doing extraordinarily well, and um you know, there's definitely something to the appeal I think of living in a major market like New York, where there's so much happening, um but I um. I didn't want to be like just another person like eking out a living (laughs) Um, or work in a in a place like that. So Um,
0: I read uh, something that you wrote about. I'm going to forget the name of it. So I'm going to sneak a peek at my notes. Um, Oh, no. Okay, I can't get into my phone. But it was um, in, in a piece that you wrote about. Uh, kind of, like, the cost of being an artist mm. and, like, how, you know, like, the Renaissance and other great movements of art were, like, subsidized by a government entities or something larger and that that's not really something that happens anymore. Is that something that you started thinking about that long ago? I don't really know where the piece came from or why you wrote it, but it was interesting to me. I thought it was had a lot of good points
1: oh thank you uh I think I wrote the piece um I think you're talking about the piece I wrote for Howl Around yes which I wrote um because I was reading a lot of pieces where uh there was this like I don't know why artists expect to make a living you know we should just be grateful for being able to do the work um because obviously we're not human people that need to eat or go to the <laughs> dentist or whatever yeah and uh That is my favorite moment of American history. And part of what I wrote my graduate thesis on was the theater history of Boston. Um, But my favorite moment of American history is this like tiny moment where the government, and I just want to like, the government thought it was detrimental to have artists doing things that were not art that in the depression the idea that artists were building roads or um you know violinists were not playing the violin was a was considered a detriment to american society and the the um, federal theater program the uh works progress administration which was a um, program to get people employed Mm -hmm. was centered around the idea about what artists do is work uh, and that if they were out of work and the government was helping to provide work um, for individuals, that art was one of the things that we should be doing. And it wasn't actually that long ago. And it's amazing to me how much the dialogue has shifted Mm -hmm. from 1935 to um, 2016. And so the idea, I think that, Somebody like Shakespeare or Mozart were an accident of birth. Um, I think is uh, silly and <laughs> is is amazing. I wish you guys nice could see her face. <laughs> um, you know, they were uh, Shakespeare wrote for money, and when he made enough money, he stopped writing and he moved back to Stratford. And um, the idea that There are, I have no doubt, more Shakespeare's, right? There are more Mm -hmm. Mozarts that are being born, um, but they are not... they have to be like an accountant on the side. So they can't can't really refine their
0: skills. Well,
1: I mean, I think if Shakespeare was born today, he would not become a playwright because there's no money in that. Right. He would maybe like, maybe he would be writing for HBO or Showtime. Um, And I think there's a lot of like really fascinating writing that's happening in television. Um, But the idea that like artists just like suffer and then, like we recognize their great art later and that part of the joy of being an artist is, is suffering, I think is, um, is tied into a, an idea that I don't really like, which is Mm -hmm. about like making artists not be human. And that's also the other side of why we don't then have to pay for art. And I think um, societies that, and cultures and periods of time that support art that have paid for art, have great art. And that's not, I think, a coincidence. I think it is causal. Um, mm-hmm. the Renaissance was paid for largely by the Medici, And so like, Oh yeah. You know, I knew that once <laughs> about <a> it <time>. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, and so like the idea that like we could have that again, mm-hmm. if we did something like that, um, it, it to me would be great. And I think, you know, societies that, didn't value art and didn't pay for art the way that they are remembered. The only thing we know about the Spartans is what we can glean from their skeletons and what the Athenians wrote about them, Um, and they didn't like them very much. So, like, they didn't write (laughs) nice things. Uh, Um, That's really interesting because I guess –
0: or not I guess, but something that you made me think of when you were talking about um, the – WPA, right, that works. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, that's where all of the amazing photography came from, too, right? Like, Dorothea Lang, and that's the only name I can think of right now. But all of those beautiful photos that kind of document, like, the tragedy, but the beauty of um, what was happening in certain parts of the country. It's um, kind of a part of our story uh, that maybe she wouldn't have had time (laughs) to to preserve for us um, without like assistance to do that. So that's a really interesting concept kind of bums me out.
1: (laughs) There's a, um, there are all these beautiful sculptures in Mm -hmm. uh, New York that date from this time. And it's exactly like, it's exactly because we paid people to make sculptures that we have all these sculptures in 1930 in Boston. um, People like um, Isabella Stewart Gardner, who, um, believed that for America to truly be a great country we needed to invest in um, beauty and so she founded. she was one of the founders of the Museum of Fine Arts mm-hmm. um, and the the ideology at that time is why we have a the public library building it's why we have the public gardens it's why when you when you look in Boston at all of the beautiful things all of the art that we have it dates from this like uh, approximately like 1880s to 1910 period where a group of uh, people said, Hey, it's really, it's important that we yeah. pay for art. Um, and so we're going to do that. Wow. Um, you know, symphony hall, all like all of the the colonial theater, um, all of these like major cultural touchstones date from this period. And, um, it, there's this idea I think that Boston has not had a theater history, mm-hmm. um, and the the way that I prefer to think about Boston's theater history is that it's people have time and time again made art here um, in spite of government and um, uh, other handicaps, other um, you know negative interventions. That there mm-hmm. are people here who are passionate about making and seeing and participating in art. Wow. I have so much to think about. (laughs) I feel like I want a copy of your thesis. This
0: is so interesting to me. Let's take a short break. Just give everyone time to kind of digest (laughs) what they just heard, uh, because I will be for probably like a a week or so. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hello again. I forgot to tell you some things earlier. Number one, your hair looks so good today. Like really great like i don't know if you got a new conditioner or some other type of emollient or or something that you're using in it but i mean you look fantastic um, here's a couple of other things I wanted to share with you. If you have any questions or comments about the show, suggestions for guests, or you just want to tell me how much you love it, uh, you can email me at kerrypodnow at gmail.com. You can also look up my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash this is a thing. We are also on Instagram. You can find me at kerrypod, um, or on Twitter. It's at kerrypod there as well. I would love to hear from you and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back. Nora, I really enjoyed that back tuck that you did during the break. It was impressive. I <laughs> didn't know you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, question Have you done, so I know you've done um, directing, and have you done performing? Like, do you still perform? Or, uh, or
1: I, uh, I was in a production of Arcadia with Bad Habit Productions a couple of years ago, uh, which was my first performance since college um, I think everybody starts in theater as an actor mm-hmm. and I'm not a, an exception but I I moved pretty quickly to directing and writing and dramaturgy well, tra-
0: thank you for saying that word you're welcome um, because <laughs>
1: I always look at it and I'm like a person is a dramaturge right Yeah, some people de- do say dramaturge because they don't like the Scatological, I think, implications that exist in English oh, okay. um, when you use like the hard G, but oh. I I embrace that. Okay. Microsoft Word puts an E on the end when oh. you write dramaturg, mm-hmm. um, which most of the dramaturgs I know do not use.
0: Interesting. Okay, yeah.
1: yeah, I always have a panic moment.
0: I'm like dramaturg, dramaturgy, and then I just don't want to say it <laughs> ever. <laughs> so I'm worried I'm going to sound stupid. Um, for people who don't know exactly what does a dramaturg or a dramaturge do,
1: uh, it's it's actually a little bit I think of a complicated question mm-hmm. um, because it depends on um if you are um an institutional dramaturg if you're a production dramaturg um if you you know if you're on staff on a theater like I am here at the lyric or if you're working um specifically on a production which um when I was a grad student at the ART we were assigned productions um so uh and it depends if it's a new play or um uh a revival of an existing production. Mm-hmm. Um, the definition that I, th- there's a lot of functions a dramaturg can have, but the um, the definition of dramaturgy I like the best is um, someone who looks with knowledge. Um, so either, uh, you know, how that manifests for... Uh, the production team or for the audience that there is a person who is not the director, who's not a designer um, who is looking at the production uh, with another pair of eyes because mm-hmm. as a director, right, you can do research. Um, there's a lot of things that dramaturgs end up doing that another person already on the production team could conceivably do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing they can't be is another person pair of eyes and I think that the advantage in a collaborative process of having um, another person who understands the goals of the production um, but brings another perspective is really valuable.
0: Yeah, that's great to have someone who can kind of take a step back and sort of say like this is what we said we wanted to do but mm-hmm. everyone's so in the weeds we're not doing it anymore is so that sort of in a sense what it can be
1: totally or yeah. you know asking questions about um the choices that are being made um to to be helpful towards the the ultimate goals and then I think also being somebody who's a little in a sense removed from mm-hmm. the um Uh, the creative authority being a person who can engage with audiences about the project. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, not being, you know, um, one of the things they do at the Lyric is manage the uh, artist Q&As. And it's, um, it's a little easier to answer questions about a project from like an emotional point of view. Oh, sure. If you are not the person who made those choices, um, but you understand why they made those mm-hmm. choices, you can talk about it. You can engage in that conversation um, a little more freely. When I am managing a Q&A for a show that I directed, um, there's a little more uh, at stake. Sure. Because, <laughs> um, you know, they're talking about we're talking about this show that I worked on, Mm -hmm. but it's also like a little bit of myself that's Mm -hmm. out there. Definitely. If it's a play that I wrote, Oh gosh. That's like a lot of yourself right there that people are talking about. And so sometimes. Yeah. You're like, what's it to you? Yeah. (laughs) All the choices were good.
0: (laughs) They were all good. Um, Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That is great, I guess for, to have the, um, a middleman, for lack of a better word, to kind of still be able to have that conversation with your audience, but not have to always have it be with the person who's like, here, judge my child. Exactly. You know?
1: Um, Oh, wow, that's so interesting. I think a lot, if you asked three more dramaturgs about what is a dramaturg, they would Mm -hmm. tell you something different based on, what it is they do. The Boston Globe actually recent recently, maybe it was like two years ago, wrote an article about dramaturgs and it was me and uh, Charles Hagland at the, from the Huntington and um, oh. I think Alana Brownstein from Company One and one other person, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan McKittrick. Maybe I think he interviewed all of us, and um, I don't think we said anything contradictory to one another. But none of us would have, none of us defined it in the same way either.
0: That's um, that's interesting. It's making me feel like maybe I need a dramaturg for my life. You know, <laughs> like someone to just kind of step back and be like. Remember all the things we said we wanted to do? Are
1: you doing them? Are you doing those things? Yeah, and
0: then they can speak to people on my behalf <laughs> <laughs> who maybe don't understand the choices that I have made. So I don't have to be there. I think
1: I'm going to look into this. I look think into this it. is a
0: business I could start.
1: <laughs> I do. I have a friend who was a uh, the resident dramaturg for a um, theater company in New York that devised work. The artistic directors were uh, or they, the company still around the company the artistic directors one was the kind of resident playwright and the other was the resident director and the the playwright often referred to my friend as theraturg um mm-hmm. <laughs> combining th- uh therapist and dramaturg yeah. which i think is also um you know lmda the literary managers and dramaturgs of america associate the professional association for dramaturgs uh i don't think we would officially include that in our list of duties but um plenty of people it's like plenty other of people skills. use it. <laughs> yes yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, that's funny uh okay I have a little game to play it's silly um because I like I silly, like silly games. things I'm glad thank you I'm glad <laughs> you do too uh I'm looking I want to take a card out everyone keeps getting Kevin Bacon and I feel like maybe it's time for that to go away <laughs>
1: Oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry, yeah. Kevin.
0: So yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, buddy. Someday you'll make it back in. Uh, so I think you said you'd listen to a couple of episodes. So I don't mm-hmm. know if you know how this game works. Uh, I'm putting cards out. Um, please pick three. Read them aloud. And then from those cards, um, come up with uh, some type of production um, and tell us like the, what the name of it would be, um, what genre it is. Because it can mm-hmm. be whatever you want, like an opera, spoken word. Um, A play, whatever, Uh, and then just like a brief synopsis of what it's about.
1: Alrighty. Greek gods. Uh huh. Wizards. Okay. Ooh, and jazz standards. Great. I think
0: I have to take some of those out too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Have you gotten these before? Um, Yeah.
0: And honestly, I'm not even so reliable at this point because I can't remember who's go with who anymore. Mm. So sometimes I'm like, wait.
1: Should Did I pick they, a different one? No, should no, I no. Should I throw one of them out?
0: You do you. I, I should not have said that. Um,
1: <laughs> but yeah. So I'm sorry. What you got? Uh, well, I think what immediately comes to mind would be a, a kind of musical review. Maybe, you know, those those kind of musicals where you're like sitting in a cafe, mm-hmm. um, you know, or the, the theater space is made to look like a like a club. Um, but it's all um, Greek gods uh, singing about their various um, issues, which Lord knows they they had a number <laughs> of them. Um, and I think maybe that it's that the event is emceed by wizards because Ooh. you definitely you know to get the Greek gods to be in you know like a jazz club, you need a wizard. You would probably need a wizard, and also like they they were a little. Um, the Greek gods were a little unpredictable, Mm -hmm. um, a little petty. They had a, they had bad tempers. So to like, just keep everybody safe, you would need, you would need a wizard to...
0: I think that sounds right to get them to get them in the space, then to stay in the space and do what they're supposed to do.
1: And then like not turn anyone into a peacock or a, you know, cow or something.
0: Yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go to that show. No. Well, maybe Maybe someone else got turned into a peacock. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't want to be at risk myself. Right. (laughs) Wonderful.
1: Um, Oh, you didn't say, did you say what it was called? Oh, no, I didn't. Um... Between Hades and the Deep Blue Sea, I love it. Boom.
0: Oh, that's so good. Thanks. I got really excited about that. <laughs> now I want to see it. Now I want to see the name. It. It. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that I really want to see, that sound like a little bonkers, but that I'm really excited for, can we please talk about Mr. Burns? We can. <laughs> that you are directing at the Lyric Stage. I don't know the dates,
1: but I bet April seventh. Wait, no. I knew I was gonna. April eighth mm-hmm. to May seventh. Okay, here at the Lyric Stage Company, in Boston. Well,
0: I mean, I don't want to give the whole thing away. Yes. I these are the things I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's like a post-apocalyptic kind of deal, correct? Um, and like a the highest form of art is a preserved episode of The Simpsons.
1: Uh, that's actually that's a very a beautifully succinct way to describe the show. It's, um, it's really about how stories move through time Mm -hmm. uh, or I think it's, it's a very, it's one of the most challenging plays I have ever had the pleasure to work on. And I am working with an extraordinary team of artists and every day we, um, we get a little closer. I keep using the, um, a professor of mine in grad school talked about um, right? Michelangelo's David being Mm -hmm. inside a block of marble, right? And so like Michelangelo is like carving out to get to the David, to like reveal the David. And that's what this process has felt like, like that the play is in there and we just have to like dig it out. (laughs) Um, but it's, um, the, the first act takes place in the very near future, immediately after the apocalypse and a um group of survivors are attempting to remember an episode of the simpsons um in in part to pass the time but also as a means they're a group of uh essentially strangers who Mm -hmm. are um uh huddling around a, a fire and uh so the episode provides a um A point of connection uh, and building of a kind of new community in a sense um, in the really like early nascent stages and then you watch how this retelling of the Simpsons transforms over time so um, much like in the same way that back in the Elizabethan era Shakespeare's plays you know fancy people went to Shakespeare plays but also Um, orange sellers sold oranges and themselves at, (laughs) during the plays. Um, and, uh, it was not, Shakespeare was not the high art that his work has now become. Um, and so this, um, this play posits what would happen if a, a contemporary piece of popular culture got pushed forward through the lens of, um, a kind of earth-shaking event. Um, how how do our stories transform through time? Um, how do we transform um, because of them? Wow. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera.
0: I can't wait to see it. Thanks. Um,
1: <laughs> just I
0: was me either. <laughs> uh, well, I was interviewing uh, Amy Jordy, mm-hmm. and she was talking about it, and instantly I was like, "What? What?" <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, what do you have any other projects coming up that people should know about?
1: Uh, really, from now until April, it's it's all Mr. All burns, burns all the time. All the time. <laughs> um, but uh, after that, I will be um, directing uh, Noises Off at uh, Hackmatack Playhouse in uh, Berwick, Maine, um, which is a a beautiful uh, summer stock theater um, on a working, real live working farm uh, in Maine. Um, There are bison. Really? Yes. And um, the owner of the theater, the theater's been around for uh, a long time and it's um, the Seacoast theater community is just, awesome and i worked with them this past summer doing ruthless the Mm -hmm. musical um and so they're they're having me back and i'm thrilled about that
0: yay that's exciting so we can see mr burns uh in boston and then take a summertime road trip yes meet a bison
1: Meet a bison or like, two. Is
0: that grammatically correct? For some reason in my head, I was like, that doesn't sound right. But I think that's right. And see a cool play. Yes. Yeah. So it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have a sign-off line for the podcast. Um, I put someone on the spot and have <laughs> them come up with one for me. What
1: should I sign off with it today? Um. So my college theater troupe, my senior year, I ran a, a theater troupe. And we, we were really... Uh, as a way to support one another um, and encourage one another through difficult times. Uh, We would frequently tell each other that we were both smart and pretty and uh, our final show of the season, whereas all of our names are smart and pretty show. So um, I, I noticed in your podcast that you uh, spend a little time complimenting the listener, which is a lovely feeling. It's surprising because you know, you know, when I was listening to it, I knew you weren't talking to me directly. But, it but still, I what? But you were a little <laughs> bit. Um, so I, I might encourage you in that line. So, you know, dear listeners, you are both smart and pretty. Oh, yeah. You guys, I'm not going to say it again because she's just right.
0: <laughs> no, I am going to say it again. You're all smart and you're so pretty. Hey, it's me. I'm sorry to interrupt. I know some of you are a little freaked out right now. Like, how is she doing this? It's almost as though this interview isn't live. I know, technology is insane. But I have some news, and the news is this. This is a Thing is now available on Stitcher. Stitcher has apps for iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Stitcher is radio on demand. Download the free app to listen anytime, anywhere. You can create custom playlists with your favorite podcasts. Also, you can rate and review your favorite shows like this one and share with your friends on Facebook or other social media. For those of you that really love iTunes, don't worry, we're not going anywhere. And you can head on over there and rate and review the show. We love five stars. I will talk to you later. And I love you.